Hello, and welcome to the Theological Family Ministry Podcast, a podcast for parents as well as children and youth ministry leaders. We are dedicated to showing how theological study and biblical application relate to the discipleship of children and youth. As always, we're hosted by Pastor Ben Palaz, the pastor of Family and Children's Discipleship at Curtis Baptist Church in Augusta, Georgia, and Tony Trussoni, the family and student pastor at Faith Family Church in Finksburg, Maryland. How you doing today, Ben? I'm uh, doing okay, hanging in there. It's uh, recovering from VBS week, so a lot of cleanup to do and organization, and my intern's out of town, uh, so <laughs> have some things for her when she gets back. It's always rough when the intern's out of town, I imagine. Yeah, I've gotten used to having some, some help, and so uh, she's at our student camp with kind of helping our fifth graders get integrated into the student ministry, so worthwhile use of her time, but I, I will appreciate when she's back. Have you had to get your own coffee now, then? Man, it's just unbelievable kind of things I'm having to do, suffering. Suffering for the <laughs> Lord. Well, that is very appropriate to bring up suffering, because uh, some of what we're going to talk about is connected to suffering, the suffering and the theology of the cross. So we're kind of having a uh, interesting discussion today uh, that might seem obscure to some of our listeners at first, but I think it's a really important one. Today we're going to talk about how we can raise theologians of the cross versus theologians of glory, and we'll explain more what that is. But I want to ask before, so Ben, did you see uh, the uh, speech from Chris Pratt, that actor recently, at the MTV Movie Awards? Uh, I did not have the privilege. Yeah, it's kind of going around Christian media stuff because it, it had some really Christian elements. He talked about God some at the MTV Movie Awards, and uh, I don't know how much that's a real award. They have a Best Kiss Award at that kind of thing. I don't consider it much <laughs> of an honor to win that. So I was talking to somebody, and they were telling me, you know, it's really a shame that we don't have more Christian actors in Hollywood that we need more active Christians in Hollywood proclaiming their faith. And if they do that, if we get all these Christians in Hollywood, then sure enough, we'll have a revival and tons of people will be won for Jesus. I think that person brought up some good points. But what got me thinking at that point was Martin Luther would be rolling over in his grave at that idea, wouldn't he? I think so. Did yeah. he have some sharp words? Yeah. And the reason why was because Martin Luther was a big advocate alongside justification by faith rightfully. He advocated uh, something called the theology of the cross instead of what he called the theology of glory. We'll talk about where he got it from, but some from the Beatitudes and elsewhere. So I think it's an important thing to talk about today. What is the theologian of the cross and what is the theologian of glory and what that means for parenting, for family and children and youth ministry, and even what it means for our churches in general. Yeah, Ben, I did hash out some of this, but where does this theologian of glory and theologian of the cross stuff come from? I think you're right that it does sound obscure to begin with, and if you were to open up a sermon and say, well, and Martin Luther and his Heidelberg Disputation, <laughs> uh, the eyes would start rolling back and, you know, uh, that kind of thing. But that that is where it comes from. The indulgences that a lot of people know about that were going on around the time of the Reformation was an issue. And so Martin Luther's uh, what his monastic order was supposed to get together sort of to discuss his ideas, and this is some of the stuff that came out of it that he wanted to address, this this idea of uh, you know th- these, these differences that he saw between a focus on glory and a focus on the cross yeah. and how God reveals himself to us and deals with us. Yeah, and he rooted a lot of that in the Beatitudes uh, too, but even more so I think we see 
basically Luther's idea that theologian of the cross is theologian of glory, I think is almost uh, of a, a restating of the truths of First Corinthians 1 through 4. Uh, the, I mean, of the wisdom of God versus the wisdom of the world. I think there's so many clear parallels in that. Now, what is the theology of glory? Well, it's it's about what's visible, what we would expect, given our fallen reason and our wisdom, uh, based on our culture, th- those kind of things. And and ultimately, um, not uh, expecting suffering is sort of like an, an over-realized eschatology, where we're expecting the glory that comes in the end without having to go through the suffering, uh, sort of taking a different path than Jesus took to glory. Yeah, I think in a lot of ways, I mean, this is a lot of the mentality of our day. It is uh, the supremacy of strength in the theology of glory, too. It's, I think, a great theologian of glory might be Charles Darwin and his idea <laughs> of, the su- of the survival of the fittest. I think the survival of the fittest is exactly what the theology of glory is talking about. It's a religion of being better than, stronger than, uh, that uh, more, more uh, better behaved than uh, another person is. Uh, and so godliness becomes, in that sense, success by our own power and our under, own understanding, we're able to achieve godliness and we're able to achieve success. It's something that's within our own grasp, I think, theologian, the theology of, the, of glory is. Now, what on the other hand is theology of the cross? Is it just putting up wooden crucifixes all around your house? <laughs> well, I mean, maybe that would help remind you, but uh, it's essentially that, that we're no better than our master. Um, we'll take the same road as him, and and our road to glory will involve suffering. It's how God deals with those who are united to Christ by faith. And, and Luther talked about how we don't just approach God on how we think he should be based on our culture and our reason, these kind of things, but on how God's actually revealed himself, and, and in particular in Christ and his cross. And so he says, for this reason, true theology and recognition of God are in the crucified Christ. If you want to know what God is like, you look at Jesus, and in particular, Jesus crucified. I found a helpful article that a guy I know you like, Carl Truman, said that the theologians of the cross are those who build their theology in light of God's own revelation of himself and Christ hanging on the cross, not you know, based on what they think he should be or would be like. Uh, yeah, it was a helpful article. The only thing I would add to that, and I think it's really helpful, and Carl Truman does a lot of really good stuff on this topic, but I would say, you know, I've, uh, one element of the theology of the cross is God's choosing the weak and broken things of this world and mm-hmm. God choosing to use that and even the weak and broken thing of a cross, of a bloody cross in Calvary, especially that. Now, what difference does this all make? Is it just kind of some obscure theology talk that you should hear about in seminary and ignore from there? We really delight in taking uh, arcane points of, of church history and <laughs> pontificating. Now, uh, I think this is actually very, very practical. I'm glad you brought these things up uh, because it it has to do a lot with our expectations in life and following Jesus. And so what happens when we suffer as we follow Christ? Um, and again, to quote Truman, he said, there, there's great blessing that comes through great suffering. And none of us would pick suffering. Oh, Lord, please heap some more on my plate because it's so delightful. But that is the way God brings 
blessing and brings um, good to us. Uh, because if he can take the the cross of his son, this evil act, and bring the greatest good, he can take those lesser things. So I think it's very practical for Christian living and parenting and discipling and all of that. I think it also brings a great deal of humility. A theology of glory is something that brings us to pride, but I think it's impossible to come to pride from a theology of the cross because it's not about you and you're not Mm -hmm. all that great only god's plan is great so which theology do you believe governs the american church today what do you think is the norm and how so it's glory glory i don't know that hallelujah should follow but it (laughs) it is definitely i mean you just go look at the bookshelves um even at at christian bookstores but i mean if you go to walmart and i I may have said this before but kind of my general rule of thumb is if you can buy the book (laughs) The, the Christian quote book at Walmart, you probably don't need to. Now, there was, I think, one exception I've seen, David Platt's book Radical or something was at Walmart, but because it sold so many copies. Uh, but it's definitely not a theology of glory, I, I wouldn't say. But but yeah, there's just prosperity teaching abounds and, you know, be a better you and awesome and, you know, these kinds of things. You know, some of that I think is because we want to make God in our own image, I think some of it comes to we're not as biblically literate as we ought to be. I mean, it's just natural in our fallenness um, that we're looking for strength and power and these kinds of things um, to compensate for our weaknesses. You know, if we really look at God as he has revealed himself and, and we, we pay attention to Scripture, we'd see, that, okay, that's not how it goes. Um, but, I mean, the American church is not— as strong in the Bible as it ought to be. You know, the, our level of, of biblical knowledge and engagement with the Bible is just, it continues to decline. Uh, that's not the only reason, uh, but I think that's one of the reasons. I think so. I, I would strongly agree that we have accepted the theology of glory in the church rather than the theology of the cross. I did allude to in the beginning idea that we need Christian celebrities to authenticate our faith. You know, we mm-hmm. need people that are important because otherwise our faith won't seem important, which is so opposite to how Jesus Jesus taught and, uh, you know, and how he said, blessed are the poor, blessed are the insignificant, not blessed are the money makers in Hollywood or in, or in New York City. You know, I think other ways in the church, too, it has permeated the church. I think so much of a lot of kind of the leadership idolatry that's in many movements in the church comes straight from a theology of glory. The idea that a pastor should learn and act like a CEO is so much of a theology of glory and and so much driving from the mentality of strength in this world and human strength in terms of how we derive leadership in the church that it is so fundamentally missed it. I think in other things, we've talked about in a recent podcast about engagement with the world uh, and I think the competitive Christian movies that show, yeah, the Christians are the smarter people. Christians are are really the cool people, and Christianity is really the really relevant thing. I think that kind of combativism is rooted in a theo- uh, just kind of a weak theology of glory. You know what I mean? A defensive mm-hmm. theology of glory. Uh, you know, I think even in terms of how we do worship, sometimes I think the atmosphere of that many churches want to make worship services into more of a concert type of feel. You know, where you mm-hmm. feel like you're at the coolest, highest production concert ever. It's not a worshipful, cross-centered idea of weakness, but it's a theology of glory. Um, it's I think like a it, nightclub in there. Oh yeah, totally. And that is a <laughs> glory theology in a nightclub. I think even more specifics in that kind of sense. Uh, so there was a 
I read an article not long ago about a church, I think in the Midwest area. It was a Pentecostal church, and it uh, made a rule that that anyone who got to a certain weight or a body fat or something like that uh, was would be kicked off of the worship team. The worship team. <laughs> you have. Are you kidding me? No, it's true. You had to be thin and in shape uh, because you were representing the church, and and people would see you, and they wanted to see uh, they wanted to see God being great and God being powerful and God being a attractive, which is all theology of glory mentality, right? Oh, man. Well, I know of a church, this is kind of in a different vein, but um, on Super Bowl Sunday, they had football Sunday, and they wanted to you know, knock all down the barrier so you can invite your friends and they'd feel comfortable, and they handed out cups with the pastor's picture on them. He's like intensely preaching, and uh, very much, you know, that, that built, like you're talking about the leadership and building this cult of personality, and, you know, look at this guy, so great, and and, and this wasn't just urban legend. Actually, my friend sent me a picture of, of his cup. <laughs> and, yeah. Um, yeah, those kind of things are definitely um, in that vein. And and, and not, you, you, like you said, First Corinthians, um, that is kind of what Paul was fighting against. Oh, definitely. And, you know, and I even think, I mean, there's a whole network that influences conservative Bible-believing churches that has <laughs> decided to find the churches that are that have the biggest numbers, the biggest, uh, the most glory in that kind of sense. And, and we promote the pastors there, even if they lack integrity or Christian maturity, as being the, the model of what a pastor should be because they have those kind of numbers. That's exactly what a theology of glory does, not what a theology the cross does. Now, how has the theology of glory permeated children and youth ministry, Ben? Not at all. That's good to hear. <laughs> uh, no, I think some of it, back to the expectations thing, um, there's often not an emphasis uh, that, that you will suffer. And you, you kind of alluded to this in the wider church culture, but just sort of making everything awesome and glitzy and, you know, following Jesus is, is having the coolest, most impressive program or whatever. It's, the, you know, so polished. Um, and really, we're just copying the world or trying to make the place look like a nightclub, um, you know, or if suffering is just sort of brushed over when you do that and make everything look cool and glitzy, you might get the impression uh, that that something is wrong with you when you suffer. Uh, that maybe there's something wrong with your faith. Um, you know, God doesn't love you or scripture's wrong because your experiences don't line up with, with what you've been taught. Um, and I think basing so much stuff on people's personal experiences and, and um, making that optimal and just blowing them away, um, and then it sets them up for failure when normal life isn't so awesome. And so I think it has infiltrated. You see that. And, and uh, you know, I, I don't think that you need to make the youth gathering or the camp or the kids thing, um, you know, model it after, you know, something that the reformers did in Europe in the 1600s um, or the 1500s. But um, at the same time, like, what are we trying to portray? And, and we're taking the world's values of glory and strength and, you know, th these kinds of things and trying to bring that into the church. There was a uh, VBS, a VBS company that does a lot of good things, and I won't say who it is. Process of, of achieving VBS, and first they start very, very, very early. In fact, more than a year ahead of most VBSs, and they pick a, an exciting theme, something that really they think will grab grab attention. And then after that, they kind of fill in what they're going to teach Bible wise after they've decided what the kind of fun focus. And we've talked some about fun. 
Uh, and, and, you know, I know that they're within that company, there's some that have the mentality that, well, if we don't do this, if we don't get people excited about our theme next year, we're not going to be able to reach young people. And that the key to reaching young people is we need to have them excited about what the theme is going to be, what the, uh, the adventure type theme is going to be. And that is so fundamentally a theology of glory that that sees as, uh, the gospel presentation as a sales pitch, as uh, as marketing as the key to reaching people rather than the gospel being the ultimate key. Uh, and not to say that these kind of things, I think really great, fun themes are awesome and we should do. But I think that you cannot mix up the theology of glory and theology of the cross. I think in youth mm-hmm. ministry, it can get even worse. You know, the so many youth leaders, uh, the fundamental... Uh, the fundamental idea that you need to first and foremost be cool the cool uncle to be the youth pastor, to be the youth minister, the youth director. We don't really care about your theology. You just need to be cool and hip and relevant, which is kind of irrelevant. You need to look like you could be an MTV. Uh, and f- <laughs> further, I know even a prominent uh, youth ministry leader uh, in the past has said that the key to growing youth ministry is you go into the high schools and you reach the quarterback. If you reach the quarterback of the football team, if you reach the most popular kids, the head cheerleader, then you're going to reach the whole school. And, I mean, that is the opposite of what Jesus said, which is Jesus said, we reach the weak, we reach the meek, that we reach the poor and the needy, and those are going to be those who God is going to be glorified in reaching, although he saves all sorts. I think we brought it up a little bit before, and now in light of some of the surrounding controversy, I don't mind even naming names, a pastor in Georgia that's kind of gotten some controversy that uh, that Andy Stanley, like a year and a half, two years ago or so, he uh, made a statement in a sermon saying that parents that choose a church for their family that doesn't have elaborate, fun kids programming that will keep the kids constantly excited are stinking selfish and that they're not going to be able to really reach their young people and that basically that they're going to commit spiritual suicide for their family if they don't find this kind of marketing focus, entertainment focus, big programs. Yeah, I was troubled by those comments. And I think he did backpedal a little bit. And I, I do appreciate some things that he says and does. Uh, I disagree with him pretty sharply there, though. If you want me to edit out his name, we can do that. So. But uh, I mean, I feel like he's getting. It was a pretty lot public, of, so. <laughs> yeah, and he's getting a lot of you know. There's a lot of other stuff right now with Andy Stanley. So now, how has theology of uh, glory impacted Christian parenting then? Uh, it's pretty in, in a lot of ways. I mean, you know, you've got the Pinterest moms, and that they're. they're on Pinterest trying to find all these cool activities to be the best mom and uh, have the best kids and, uh, you know, some of the attachment parenting and related stuff. Um, you know, there was the Time magazine. Co- was it Time? A couple years ago, the ladies, you know, breastfeeding like a four-year-old on the cover and, you know, it's just, I'm going to be the best. And um, the food fads and all the, the crazy stuff that happens with, you know, people's convictions about food. Now they put that on. I, I think it ties in. Um, and I think Christian parents are often drinking more deeply from the cultural well, and it's a, you know, 
the, the promoting glory, glory, um, rather than the well of God's word and the gospel. And so they're seeing they need to measure up to that and be, you know, put forward this image of power and of, uh, you know, having it together. And, you know, you can, you can edit what happened on the family picnic or, you know, on vacation, these kind of things and the, the pictures you post out there on social media and, um, just, having things together and here's a stat this is from a couple i this i think these stats are actually about 10 years old but uh lifeway research did some some surveys um related to parenting and what what americans uh, views they had on parenting and so they were talking to unbelievers as well but um only 24 percent of those who said they were they regularly attended religious services thought that being godly or having faith in god would indicate that they had been a success as a parent so again there, there were unbelievers mixed in even in those religious service attenders but that just shows you that wow um, so many people are not thinking along the terms of producing godliness in their home, and, and they're looking to the world's version of success, um, and so trying to you know fit our lives into that. I think also somewhat you know another aspect of it I think we see is overutilization of the professionals. So again, we've talked a lot about family worship and and how family discipleship just isn't really happening in the home, and sometimes I think it's not because people don't want to disciple their kids, but it's because they think they borrowed from the theology of glory around them and the mentality of the world that, you know, we don't try to do what professionals do, that most people don't try to repair their engines because they know, you know, they're not the expert. They don't want to destroy their car. (laughs) There's experts Mm -hmm. they can have do that. And in the same way, they decide, you know, to put their kids in as many Christian programs as the key to reaching them because, you know, those are the experts, right, rather than having intentional time with them and maybe even possibly uh, worshiping with them intentionally. Yeah, we talked about this on another episode about the is your church a spiritualized Chuck E. Cheese? And, you know, I think that there are churches out there that – in particular, large churches who have big budgets that can afford to do this. And I don't think it's an intentional message that they're trying to send, but I think unintentionally the message can be sent here. Just bring the kids to us. We'll take care of it. And in the process, it can discourage parents from doing things at home because they think, I can't compete with you know the laser light show and, and the all the cool stuff that they get at church. And so, well, I'll just make sure to have them at the church program. Yeah, absolutely. How is this theology of glory impacting young people in our churches today? They're picking up from their parents what the parents are emphasizing, and so they're pursuing worldly goals and success, um, athletics, music, school. And again, I mean, both of us are proponents of education. And also this idea, you know, want to find out what God's will is for my life. And as kids get older, I mean, you know, my my seven year old's not so much thinking in those terms, but I'm sure the kids that you're ministering to are thinking more as they approach the end of high school. And it's this idea: God's will for your life is just amazing. And but what what people often mean by that is, I, I would agree, but maybe not amazing in the way that you think. And it kind of assumes or gives the impression that uh, it's it's going to be mean worldly success, financial um, stability, and you know great friendships and all these kind of things, and that you won't face hardship. And so I think that really is a big one. And also the stuff that we talked about before with the moralistic therapeutic deism. Uh, life's biggest goal is to be happy and feel good about yourself. 
and uh, that's clearly not what Jesus said. So again, just the, the culture has seeped in. We've sort of tried to Christianize it, um, take it, and then you know put some Christian nuance on it, or not much nuance, but a little a little Christian spin. You know, then we're we're just chasing after the same things the world values. Absolutely. So. With this said, what makes the theology of glory so tempting? We've seen how disastrous it is. Who wants to suffer? (laughs) (laughs) Like, Lord, I mean, they just don't pray for that. And we also live in a microwave culture that wants basically instant results. We don't want to go through the furnace of suffering to be perfect and complete and mature and learning to trust God. And the world is the world around us is peddling it. And so whatever culture you live in, whether it's twenty first century American or you know eighteenth eighteenth century Bulgarian or or whatever else, the culture affects the way you think in in ways you don't even realize because uh, it's just the air you breathe. And so we're we're getting this steady diet of it. And because it's been reinforced in our churches and our homes, it's just it's hard to break that cycle, and we do, we have to steer at God's word to help in that. Theology of glory can be tempting just because it's something that we can grasp. We can't grab a hold of. We can't control a theology of the cross. We can't control things when we realize that we have to put our trust in God, and we have to endure weakness and endure things that we don't understand. So much of the theology of the cross is realizing our our understanding is limited. But when we rely on our own understanding and the ways of this world, it's something we can grab hold of, and it's it feels comforting. Now, how do we find strength and weakness through the theology of the cross? I mean, something I alluded to earlier, and I think Carl Truman in that article I was referring to earlier said it really well that, you know, God's power was shown most mightily in the weakness of his son hanging naked on a cross. And he's dying for his enemies mm. and then rising victorious over sin and death and hell. And so kind of taking the the thought process in Romans eight twenty eight that for those God loves, all things work together for good. If he can take that apparent weakness and that most evil event in history and turn into the greatest display of his goodness, can he take the smaller evils uh, that we face and the suffering that we face and and turn it for good? And so just reflecting on what God actually did to deal with, with evil and suffering and, and how God works in weakness um, and that as things as they appear are not, that's not the final word on it. There's more to it that we can't see. So I want to get very personal, more so than only in the podcast in this. So we had a time, when we were in seminary, there was a time that we really had everything we thought we needed. So we had uh, about as much in our savings at the time as I had in college debt. And I knew we could take care of it. I had my plans that I would get right through seminary, have kids after that, have be able to put a down payment on a house. I mean, all this stuff that I thought I was in control of, I, I had taken care of. And then... The unexpected happened, and we lost a child. My wife lost her job because of losing a child, sadly, the child. And uh, we turned out when we thought we had insurance covering the pregnancy, we didn't. And uh, the miscarriage cost us uh, cost us uh, more money than a lot of births would cost us, sadly. And it wiped us out uh, to the point, you know, where we had to the paycheck to paycheck we had to you know scrape by and we didn't know if we we're going to be able to afford a rent any given month 
But the amazing thing was that taught us the theology of the cross in a way that we never had before. We knew what it meant to really depend on, on Christ. And we knew what intimacy with Christ meant in a way that we hadn't really before. Because he truly was our provider. He was who cared for us. He was who worked through our weakness and our pain. And uh, there was a beauty to it. And I think that we found strength in our weakness amazingly in that. And I think back to the Beatitudes. It goes to that. I mean, the Beatitudes talk so much about how blessed are the weak. Blessed are the poor in this world even. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are that uh, the merciful. Blessed are people that we would not lift up in this world. And God makes them influential. God makes them important. God used a man who may have had poor eyesight, possibly struggled to speech, speak in Paul, even more so in Moses, to make much of him. And, you know, mm-hmm. and there is a strength found in that. Uh, and I think it gives us boldness. It gives us boldness to proclaim the gospel, especially when we find our strength in the weakness of the theology of the cross. When we rely on the theology of glory, we feel that we have to make the right sales pitch. And if we're not able to do it well enough, if we can't close a sale, we're not going to present the gospel to people. But if we understand the theology of the cross, we're going to realize that God can save people through our stumbling over words and through our struggling. What does a theology of the cross look like in children and youth ministry? It's consistently presenting God as he's revealed himself. You, um, you want to try to give them as complete a picture of who God is and not just take some isolated passage or just one aspect of his character, uh, but presenting him as he has revealed himself. And, and not we talked about this a lot, not just teaching morals, um, but teaching about the reality of sin and suffering and, and even preparing young people, whether they're children or they're, they're teenagers, teaching them uh, to prepare to suffer. And seeking the the renewal of their mind and the renewal of their values through the word rather than being shaped by the world and you know trying to be not a uh, not so good imitation of it um I, th- I mean those are some of the things just as a church trying to minister and then, but you're also having to help their parents to shepherd that way away from the church because you know you get them an hour a week uh, at most, uh, sometimes maybe maybe some of you get a little bit more, but um, helping to shepherd their parents to think in those terms and to to be shaped by God's word rather than by the world. So I think it has, means very similar things, uh, very much related to what you said, and very similar in both children and youth ministry. So in the fall, we'll be having a youth worship man for the first time in a while at our church, and we're going to try that to when we pick songs. One thing. I want to be very clear on it. We're going to try to have not just happy-go-lucky songs. You know, when typically in youth worship, it's easy for it to just be all these songs about how happy I am and how that uh, how much joy I have in every moment ever flowing. When that's not the state of our teenagers. You know, the reality is that even some stats came out today that showed that our teenagers are sadder and more depressed than they've ever been, arguably. And that's okay. And a theology of the cross, it's okay to be sad. It's okay to hurt and be depressed. It's not something to be avoided or, or stay away from. And that's something that we can embrace in God and trust in God through. And so we're going to try to find songs, good Christian songs in the past that glorify God through our pain and through our weakness and put our trust in God through the pain. 
and you know and um children's ministries likewise you i mean you have all the victorious living which is theology of glory uh lessons like david and goliath uh, but mm-hmm. you don't have a lot of suffering stuff when i was leading the children's curriculum at my previous church i wrote it and i tried to get us through the whole bible and when you do that the fascinating thing is you can't avoid suffering you can't avoid pain <laughs> at all you know especially you get in the you get into some of the prophets you get into Isaiah and Jeremiah's journey especially Jeremiah at times Ezekiel you get into the psalms and David's laments and you see people that are hurting deeply and you can't gloss over it. You have to talk right. about it. And you have to talk about how Christians are hurt by those who don't trust in Jesus. And I think we can't avoid this, but we have to prepare people to suffer. Uh, otherwise, we'll just prepare them for a theology of glory. Yeah, you read the Psalms, and I mean, hymn book of Israel and hymn book of the church, and mm-hmm. there's a whole lot of suffering and um, calling out to the Lord in the midst of that. And it teaches us how to live and to think and feel in the middle of it. Now, how does the theology of the cross refocus our parenting? I think it helps to refocus us to look to be faithful and not to necessarily produce the most awesome, accomplished child who gets into the Ivy League and has a prominent job and is the best athlete and the best looking and, you know, the cutest clothes. And um, it helps us to look through the lens of the cross before glory. And so helping our kids to think, how can I make much of Jesus with how God has made me? Uh, and and maybe that is by being and entering in some sort of respectable profession, um, but it's helping them to enter that with goals that are different than their colleagues, um, not just to make a bunch of money to get a really nice house and then get a good spouse and have kids who can then go repeat the process. And so the, the focus is more on faithfulness than on, I guess, perceived fruitfulness and success in worldly terms. Yeah, I would agree with that. We don't raise them and through a theology of the cross to take the world by storm in the way that theology of glory does. We don't raise them the American dream. So many Christian parents, back to what you said in that survey, the biggest focus is on success by this world standards. We consider they want to be happy. Oh, exactly. Be happy and live the good life, you know. Everybody knows what the good life is, and we want our kids to live the good life more than we want them to live the godly life. But when we have a theology of the cross, we consider the godly life far more important than the good life. We consider it a far better reality, and not just something better, but something that's legitimately good and beautiful. When our children grow up to work as a waiter at Denny's or uh, change tires for a living, and they love Jesus, and they do what they do for service to the Lord, then if our child becomes president, CEO, whatever we might define as the good life, uh, maybe that may be an important investor, but doesn't make much of Jesus in their life. That's right. I mean, and let's face it, not that many people are going to have those high prestige jobs. Um, And so let's not pretend that our kid is just exceptional when they're not. And let's teach them to to love Jesus and to to live their life on purpose to bring glory to him and attention to him um, rather than to themselves. Now, what impact will having a theology of the cross have on our young people when they have to settle for the ordinary rather than reaching the stars? 
That's right. Jump over the moon, reach the stars. Um, You're I think gonna it helps hear to me rest. Roar. <laughs> they can rest in Christ and His merits for them, and be satisfied with that without having to be famous. Like I, I've seen some research out there that showed that uh, kids these days they would rather be famous than rich because of all the social media stuff and the ability to put yourself out there. They there are more kids that that said I want to be famous than have lots of money, um, and so they can rest in that rather than having to be famous or rich or successful or however the world would define things. Um, and they can be faithful and joyful in in whatever God calls them to do. Um, and know that the Lord is pleased. I, they definitely, they can serve the Lord in whatever uh, situation that they're in. If they understand that theology of the cross, they can not see uh, the, a downturn in their economic situation or failure to live up to what they hoped for as a fundamental failure in life, as losing out, but as another opportunity to serve Jesus. And they can enjoy serving him whatever capacity that God would have them in. Um, and I think that uh, they will be able to see the lowliness that ma- makes much of God as a gift. They will see their suffering not as just something to be avoided, but something that they can seek God through and something that they can draw closer to God in rather than something that is uh, missing the mark, something that is failing to live up to what you should have lived up to. It's not a Mm -hmm. failure to suffer then if we have a theology of the cross, but there's beauty in suffering. How do we prepare them to rely on the wisdom of God, not a theology of glory when they choose where to go to church or how to serve the Lord? Well, I think you help them to consider who God really is based on how he's revealed himself and what he said in his word. And so when they see that, they're not going to just look for the best show in, in town kind of church um, to provide, you know, in quotes, the best for their kids, the best program, uh, that kind of thing. They're instead looking for the word and the gospel to be preached and and not just, you know, be a better you, best life now kind of sermons and teaching. Um, mm, and yeah. so – and they're, they're going to see – hopefully see the church not just as some other thing on their schedule like ballet and ball practice and, you know, those kinds of things. But instead they see the church as the family of God and they're looking to serve and, and do things that aren't necessarily glamorous and even if – you know, I don't mean to knock large churches. I mean, my, my church is not small, but, um, you know, we're just, we're not going to look and go, oh, well, something must be happening because there's a lot of people there and they have cool facilities um, and pick make the decision based on that. I mean, there are faithful churches that are large and God has blessed them. Um, so I don't want to disparage God's work there, um, but, you know, just... The tendency, human humanly speaking, uh, in our fallen, is we can look for something that looks big and impressive, and um, and not be looking at it through the lens of of, of what God has given us. And so, um, I think that can be helpful to our kids as we help to shape that for them. I think so much of what's going to influence our kid is going to be what we talk about with them in that vein, too. You know, we're going to talk about what happened in church most Sundays. We should with our kids on the way home. You know, and it's so easy to just talk about, oh, I was so that uh, happy with that exciting and amazing song. That really got me pumped uh, this Sunday. Or did you did you hear the sound quality today? It's just better than all the other churches. Uh, the uh, Did you hear that? Uh, wasn't that such an eloquent preacher? 
uh, you know, I think that's a theology of the glory on, on that focus. But instead, ha- teaching them to approach church from the theology of the cross is going and having a conversation at church and, and how God that brought you to truly worship and how God convicted you through the sermon. How there was that point in the sermon, something I wasn't expecting. And how how important it was that the pastor drew that out of the passage. Drew what the passage is saying. And how that showed you the sin that's in your heart. And how you're going to try to seek God more and more. And, and you know, and also, you know, how you found a joy in the Lord through your pain in it. So being vulnerable and showing the beauty of these things that are of eternal significance rather than the things that are just exciting uh, in a worship service when we talk about church on the way home. Uh, but I think further, you know, we need to prepare them uh, to really serve in that kind of capacity. So uh, there's something that's prominent in a lot of churches, I think, that are buy into theology of glory, but not necessarily exclusively, and that's to have a heavy, heavy focus on these spiritual gift inventories, these uh, that questionnaires, and maybe there's some help in them, but it's common that people will take these questionnaires and surveys and say, my spiritual gift is doing this, that, or the other thing, and if they're asked to serve in one capacity, nope, that's not my gifting, that's not where I'm happy serving. Uh, it makes them into, you know, uh, that somebody who pursues gl- glory rather than the spiritual gifts were given for the edification of the church, for the humbling of the body to serve one another. Uh, and, you know, I think we have to grow our children and our youth up in such a way that if they can't serve with a mop, they realize they can't serve where they're seen. So anyway, so I was glad to have this conversation with you. And uh, for listeners, it might seem like this is kind of an obscure topic. You don't really hear a lot about theology of glory and theology of the cross. Uh, but I think it's a really important thing to understand. And it's one of those worldview things that's going to shape how we look at our parenting, how we look at children and youth ministry, and how we look at the church. Thank you for joining us for this episode of the Theological Family Ministry Podcast. If you have enjoyed this episode, please give us a review on iTunes and share the podcast with your friends on social media. All new episodes are available to listen to on Stitcher, SoundCloud, YouTube, Spreaker, and iTunes. We hope you have a great week, and join us again every first and third Thursday.